Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For the best championship, League One and League Two coverage, Acton Mool recommends the Football League paper. It's got it all covered. For the complete EFL picture, get the Football League paper, £1.50 every Sunday, or visit theleaguepaper.com for a variety of digital subscriptions. The Football League paper. It's got it covered. You're listening to Achtung Millwall, broadcasting from the beautiful South Birmingham. Accept no substitute. Huge welcome, dear listeners, to Achtung Millwall with a special guest this Monday afternoon. It's Mr. Merv Payne. Welcome to the show, Merv. Hello, thanks for having me, Nick. Um, we're speaking about your new book. You are prolific. If nothing else, Merv, you're a prolific author, <laughs> mate. A new one out now on the... Um, the 90s, Mill in the 90s, which we'll, yep. we'll, we'll yep. come on to shortly. But I thought I'd just trouble you for your opinion, from what you saw of it, of um, Saturday's, um, what can we call it, uh, anticlimactic start to the season? Would yeah, you call- I think so. But um, I think you and I are both long in the tooth enough now to know that <laughs> quite often the first time of the season, is, um, it's nothing more than an extended pre-season friendly sometimes, is it? You know, you get teams feeling each other out and the managers aren't quite sure on what, not 100% sure on what to do with the, the players they've got. And obviously we were missing Troy Parrott and Ryan Woods and Marlon Romeo. So I, I think I tweeted about this on Saturday evening as well. I mean, this, at the same stage last year, Cholton had just come up and they won at Blackburn and it raised a few eyebrows. And uh, right, the yeah. Cholton fans were getting a bit overexcited and we're talking about back-to-back promotions and <laughs> how Lee Bowyer would do fair as a coach in the Premier League. And then... Fast forward 12 months and they're, they're winning 2-0 at crew and, and, they're, and they're talking about, you know, winning the League, league One again. So, <laughs> Sanitary lesson for us all. Perspective, to be honest. And we've had so many false dawns, you know, opening day wins and we start getting our hopes up and then before you know it, it's... So I'm not, not worried at all about the first game, really. No, no, I wasn't. I mean, I, 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 you're right about the, the, the first game syndrome um, and you can read way too much into it. I think you can read way much into, too much into pre-season results and, and first games Definitely, of the season. Yeah. Um, I feel, I mean, I, I don't know how much of it you saw because we're in this very weird I-follow zone now of yeah, yeah. no one in the stadium, Merv, and we're all dependent on this sketchy, scratchy I-follow um, stream. Did you... Did you did you get much of it um, from Saturday's game? Or? I tend to have a really low patience threshold with this sort of thing. As soon as it freezes once or twice, I just get the ump and switch it off. 
after Saturday, to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've got no patience with that sort of thing. I, mean, I, I lost my rag with it last week, so I, I, mm. I'd logged on to watch the Crawley game, and um, of course we had twenty something minutes of a frozen screen from Crawley. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, just, I mean, going off topic slightly. I mean, I, the, the the stream for me on Saturday was okay. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, praise where it's due, it was okay. Um, but I just think that I follow as a service. Um, the we had the old proverbial one camera on the halfway line at Crawley, yeah, which one camera no replay, which is yeah. piss poor service, Merv. When you're yeah. paying a tenner for exactly. ten quid, I mean, we're in 2020. You know, yeah. there are people out there with iPhones that can give a better service yeah. than what Some we've of got the, there. Um, dodgy streams you can pick up on Facebook and stuff like that are ten times better than this. Well, they used to be when the fans were allowed in. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, these are so I've heard anyway. But yeah, I mean, it is no excuse for it, and it's just, it's just. I think it's typical of the EFL, do it on the cheap, charge a premium for it, and ripping you know. people off basically. Yeah. I mean, Saturday's production values were better, decent yeah. HD camera and cameras behind a gold and lower level views of the bench. So I can't complain at that. And I, I, I personally, I don't know what listeners' experience of it on a Saturday were, but um, I thought it was, you know, that the service, the stream was okay. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, I mean, going back to the game, obviously there was um, we were kind of out muscled in the first half. I felt, but then that yeah. could be rustiness. We, we, I was interested because Aaron said on our pre-season show, Mervyn, I'm interested yeah. to see what you think um, that we lack a bit of creative depth, and I, I, I do wonder because that with Ryan Woods sitting on the bench on Saturday, being Stoke lone tired or whatever yeah. the expression, we we did look a bit bereft of um, creativity, didn't we, going forwards? Yeah, I think that's a hangover from the, the Neil Harris more direct days. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something, like goal scorers, I think it's quite hard to rectify in the transfer market because players like that are really well sought after, aren't they? And, and the, the bigger clubs tend to snap them up and it's a matter of um, getting lucky, I think, with a team of Mills sort of point of view, Mills standing. So, you, funnily enough, harking back to the sort of the 90s era, the Alex Ray signing. Yeah. Brought in to replace Herlock. And at the time, no one had heard of him. Everyone thought, you know, who the hell is this? this Unknown guy from Scotland and Falkirk, within, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and yet within within two or three games, it was obvious the bloke was pure class. And you're starting thinking, well, yeah, we got hold of someone this good. And it takes that sort of stroke of luck, I think, for a, especially a creative player to um, you know, you've got to fit in. I mean, you look at Bolton. Uh, I know a Bolton fan who who's despairing. I think they signed 18 players, had a brilliant pre-season, <laughs> and they started on Saturday losing over Forest Green, and he, he, <laughs> he you know, and they bought like Owen. Doyle, who's like top scorer in League Two, have gone yeah. out and they've snapped up every what they think is the perfect recipe for promotion, and it could it could just backfire on them, you know. So it don't work hard. that way, does it? It's um, no, no. I had a I had a fascinating conversation on Friday with Radio Stoke because I was doing a, a pre-game show for the for the board draw, nil nil draws. It turned yeah. out on on Saturday, but they were intrigued, stroke fascinated by. Alex Aldrich, our, our, our former head of recruitment, Aldo, yeah. going up, up to Stoke. And it, because they don't know him, I think they see him as some kind of mystic guru of, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the finder of talent out there. And I, I think I took him back a little bit when I, I said, uh, it touches on what you just said about Bolton there, that in the world of football recruitment, I think luck plays its part. I think it's more, you know, you stick a yeah. pin in the tail of a donkey or something, you know, and then... Oh, it is, yeah. You know, you turn up the the Alex every Alex Ray, you get five Tom Elliotts. You know, it's yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I don't yeah. know if I debunked his reputation in Stoke. Yeah. Um, possibly. I would think it was interesting. There was a story. Um, I don't know if you saw. I think it was. I think it was Southampton Press, where 
Gary Rowe admitted they almost invested a million quid in a young player, young wingback, I think he said. Right. And he was about six months, he needed about six months of development. So that's why they decided to plump for um, Malone instead. Right. I heard that Stoke had bought a youngster, I don't know, I can't remember where from now, that Moore were interested in. And I'm wondering if the two stories were connected. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Said, right, well, Rowett didn't want him, so <laughs> he's, he's sort of taken him with him. But who knows, that whole recruitment thing mystifies me to be honest it, I, I find it I still remember the days when a manager would meet his prospective player on a service station on the M1 <laughs> and, and sign him or someone like Cuffy and Taylor would drive to their house on a Sunday afternoon and doorstep them and say look just sign for us you? and that was it the, the deal was done but it seems to be like um, I don't know, everything's a big highfalutin business transaction these days and it was so many whole entourages involved in it it just seems it's, yeah, it's got to be dressed in the clothes of the corporate deal, and I, I yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm, I haven't come on the show today to disrespect Alex. I, I like no, Alex, I and I know him, but I mean, I, I do wonder, you know, if you watch enough football, I mean, I think anyone could be a football recruitment. Yeah, <laughs> we've all thought, oh, see, so you, you go to your local non-league game, and they play someone, and someone on the other team looks pretty. Oh, I wonder if Milk Plastic was about was um. Oh God, what's he called? Charlie, Charlie, oh Charlie Bobble at Swindon when he was playing for Paul Town. Yeah, the guy kept writing into the line roars saying this is, this is. I moved to Paul a few years ago and they got this bloke called Charlie Austin. He's amazing. Mill, so I kept writing to Mill telling him to come have a look at him and they ignored me. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course it, 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 it's another stream of letters to line roars, basically saying I told you so and you know look, 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 look what you could have won. But I think we're all scouts <laughs> on the quiet, aren't we? We all we all think we can. Yeah, and of course, football clubs. I mean, not not meaning you here, but you know, I mean, football clubs draw their fair share of um, of flakes and fruitcakes and nutcases, yeah. don't they? So you know, I mean, you, you never know. But um, I'm sure every team, every club has a story like a, a Charlie Austin, or you know, as, as was alleged to be Lionel Messi, not 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 being picked up by Millwall by Theo Pathetis, you know. Yeah. Whether true or not, I don't know. But no, I mean, an anticlimactic start Saturday. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if we do bring anyone else in. I thought Ryan Woods was missed. Um, and, and the yeah. great unknown factor that is Troy Parrott up front. Um, yeah. Because yeah. um, we don't know what, what we're going to get from from big Troy. Um, yeah. But it was, a, it was a very mural start to the season, nil-nil. And I yeah. think it's probably about as much as we can say about it. I, I'm just reading the... The football league paper and um, Michael O'Neill was moaning about a, a late penalty shout. I did think it looked like a good penalty shout in, yeah. in real time, but I suppose that's that's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, I think any Millwall fan that was at the Stoke away game last season, which is the start of the year, it sounded like a very similar game. And I think O'Neill has obviously gone in there when they were, they were a club in crisis, sort of heading for League One. And I think he's very much got this sort of batting down the hat, hatches attitude and this sort of play to not, not certainly away anyway, play to not lose sort of attitude, but they've got some quality, a bit like Klukas and players like that, who, who you know will mix you a goal if you've got a half a chance. I think they could be quite a, a dark horse. I think we probably don't give them as much. No, I agree. I mean, uh, not long, not long out of the Premier League. They were physical yeah. and big, and I think that will take you a long way in this, yeah, in this division. Master players O'Neill, and I think he's, he's executing it quite well, and he'll, he'll probably be quite chuffed with a nil-nil. But, I, I, you know, it's a cliche, but I think perhaps the, the mill of early last season or perhaps two seasons ago, that, that probably would have been a, a, a late one nil defeat. Yeah. That's what I kept thinking. I think you think, you know, a mill a mill of old might have just ended up clawing defeat from the jaws of a draw sort of thing. But you never know with these sort of things. But I think I think the future's still pretty bright for us. I think, you know, we're gonna 
Would you, would you okay? I've picked out a few of my favourite tweets from the net just to close this little section. Oh, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna disregard yours because you've actually said it about Charlton oh, right. coming back coming back um you know uh from crew whereas in last year they were Premier League bound. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I like that one. So I've but you you've said that already, stolen my thunder. Mm-hmm. Um one I loved, uh and the you know, Twitter is is the source of much angst in the modern world, but also some of the funniest things i think um that i've read this one's from jp millwall you might have might have read this one though it says it was not a good performance but jp was so happy so happy we're back he has a great uncle who's been wheelchair bound for 11 years paralyzed from the neck down okay. however after jed's mis- misplaced 54th pass he, he got up walked over to the television and turned it off thank you millwall <laughs> fc yeah, I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> there was that one, which I loved for its dark, yeah. dark black humour. And then there was one yeah. by the always, always strong Bermondsey boy yeah. who says um, there's a new show called Des starting da- starring David Tennant as serial killer, Dennis Nielsen, which he felt was going to be easier watching than a Mill versus Stoke yeah. Mill now. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Because it is one of those games. It's never, never, it very rarely inspires you, does it really? It wouldn't be one that would um, grip the world audience, but there we are. That's 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 the nature of the business. Um, so yeah, yeah nil nil draw. Yeah. I was trying to tune into, uh, I was trying to pay my tenor to watch the Cheltenham game. This is this is the the level that we're we're at, uh, listeners. But um, I couldn't yeah. couldn't get logged on earlier on, so um, I'll try that try that later. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Achtung, Mehlball. Hi, Kelly Webster, Millwall Lionesses. Just like to thank Acton Millwall and all its listeners for all of your support. It really means a lot to us. Thank you. But, Merv, thank you for that. Um, you're, the reason you're here is not to discuss Michael O'Neill's 
bruising encounter. It's, it's your new work. You've you produced another book, mate, on the 90s, an intriguing decade at Millwall. Mm, definitely. We spoke last week briefly, and I put forward the proposition to you that the 90s didn't really start at Millwall until the move to the new stadium, which was in 1993, 94. Um, yeah. And the reason I say that is because we had a couple of seasons after relegation at the end of the first division days where we're still at Cold Blow Lane. Um, there was still, um, I think there was hope going to, to the new stadium, but there was, there was some good football played in those, the, the, the Bruce Rioch and oh, early yeah. era, Mc, McCarthy era, it was amongst yeah. the best games, best, best football I think I've ever seen in the Millwall fan. Yeah, era. I mean, we went into that first season down under Rioch with arguably a bigger and stronger, more experienced squad than the one we had in the two seasons in the top flight. You know, we had people like Malcolm Allen, who yeah. only really played in the top flight and, and, and did well. And the people we got brought in, and obviously we had Sherring, and we was able to keep hold of him. And, and the squad, I mean, you look at the team photo, loads of, of quality. And obviously we had some good youth players, Kenny Cunningham coming through. Um, and sort of that 1991 season, you look back and the constant thought is how on earth did we not run away with the league really there was some strong teams we should have done we should have done in all Little honesty Wednesday, West Ham yeah the two teams obviously big teams desperate to get back in the top flight but even there were four promotion places up for grabs which makes it even more galling that's because they were restructuring <laughs> they were restructuring the top flight back to 22 clubs so they decided in division two they were going to promote four yeah. relegate two so I mean apart from having probably one of our most impressive squads ever we had you know, when you think about, you think back to 72 when we missed out because we finished third when there's only two up. Yeah. To not be able to do it when it's four going up. Top three were automatically promoted and there's a playoffs. But it was the same old thing, the same old story that happens, which is what makes football so, you know, just so popular, I guess. But teams came out of nowhere. The likes of Oldham and Brighton. Oldham were promoted. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You never would have believed, start of the season, you'd have thought, now there's only four teams in this. It's going to be West Ham, Sheffield Wednesday, Mill and Newcastle. Newcastle almost went down. Yeah. And yet still managed to sort of put a spanner in, in the work for me all, I think. I think they the Denham beat us. But yeah, I mean, only when I started delving into it did you start to sort of see more what it was about. And, and you actually then realise when you think about or when you see, find out just what the Bruce Rioch era was like and how actually unpopular he was amongst probably the majority of the squad, you actually think, well, it's amazing we did as well as we did that season anyway. But um, that was, it was quite an eye-opener because I, um, you know, I, I so you never truly know what goes on at a club until you speak to players at the time and they won't tell you the truth because they can't. It's their, no, 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 no. You know, I can't go into work the next day. But uh, talking to Ian Dawes and Les Briley about the Riot era, and it's quite bizarre, really. I think one of the telling quotes was Les Briley said that Riot came up to him on the, one of the first days there, and well, one of the first, after the first week, sorry, and said, I'm going to change this club. Um, he didn't like the sort of the pally sort of social club sort of... Right boys you know informal yeah. sort of atmosphere said so I'm gonna change his club and Les said to him, him I don't think you will <laughs> um, but that was it I mean, and it became then a battle and, and it was also talking to Ian Dawes who was it was great to talk to him you know kindly provided the forward for the for the book and he said initially he thought Bruce Rock coming in was good news for him because when he came to Millwall they played a more direct style which he wasn't used to a QPI yeah. QPR, yeah. but he adapted to it because that's a sort of you know decent pro he was but then he thought, right, Riot comes in, he plays good football. I, I could be, you know, onto a winner here. Yeah. And the thing was, he said it was his most miserable time of his career because Riot, I got the impression Riot just wanted rid of the old guard, the old Doherty players. 
Um, and you know, he had some bizarre tactics for putting players out in the cold, really. So I think when you look at that, it's not hard to see why they went on that ridiculous like, two-month run of not winning after that brilliant Sheffield Wednesday game in the league. Yep. Also equally remarkable that they sort of, I think, according to Ian Dawes, they sort of galvanised themselves and said, look, let's just bloody go for it, you know, in spite of what we think of the management sort of regime or the, what the, his methods, let's, let's dig in and let's, let's get promotion. And unfortunately, you know, as, as both Les Annie and explained, it just didn't happen. Brighton playoff game, they just, they just, they just froze. It just, it just one of those things. The character of Bruce Rio never ceases to fascinate me. I don't know why, why this is so, because there's this odd um, uh, contrast between the, the football that we played, which was mm. perhaps, the, um, like I've said already, amongst the yeah. best I think I've ever seen a Mill team play, Merv, in terms of passing, yeah. um, movement, mm. and some of the quality, some of the players we had to, to, to do so. And this really strange contrast with a, a highly unpopular sergeant major come, I don't know, middle management kind of um, figure in charge of it all. It's a very yeah. odd mixture. Um, and I've never quite got my head around Bruce Rioch and, you know, his, 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 <laughs> that, that, that kind of extreme swing from one, one thing to another. You, the two don't seem to go well together in the normal course of events. Yeah. yeah. And obviously the thing is he went to Bolton and, and, and had, unparalleled success there but I think I think it goes back to the whole Ian Holloway comment about we all didn't get him yeah and I think you know that's that and that was obviously he went to Bolton and Bolton were quite happy to do whatever he wanted and to just bow down to his every request and, and do exactly what he wanted to get the success because they were in the third division at the time whereas as we all know Mill isn't that sort of club you, no. you adapt to Mill and probably the person that got that the best was with John Doherty I think which it's no coincidence yeah. That led to our greatest ever sort of spell of success. But when you hit, when you read what Doherty said about the club and the fans and, and, and stuff that was written at the time in the late eighties, he totally got it. You know, he walked in, he thought, "I know exactly what what to do here." You know, I know yeah. exactly how this place ticks, and, and, he, and he, he did. He got it, and and you wonder if perhaps Rio could have been a little bit more flexible. Um, things could have been a bit different because you know it was the best possible time to bounce back into the first division then because things were changing so quickly. Money-wise, you know, I think um, one minute in the sort of mid to late eight, mid or well, mid eighties, television wasn't interested in, in covering football, and suddenly they were. There was like a, a billion on, yeah, and ITV were even blown out of the water with Sky, and suddenly it just changed so so quickly. And there was that. I think what that's what pushed on the plans for the new den was that yeah. was that fear. It's always that I think we've heard it a lot down at Mill where if we don't do this. Um, then we'll get left behind, and, we'll, and I think at the time there was sort of, I think Reg Burr was saying that you know if we don't move now, so we had the Taylor report, you know, post Hillsborough, and saying if we stay at the Den, we've got to reduce the capacity to like ten thousand. Yeah, and um, we'll have a crippling redevelopment bill. We'll, we'll basically be third or fourth division for forevermore, and that was like the uh, emotional blackmail, I suppose, behind what was initially a really unpopular, you know, move at the time. I remember friends vowing never to go if they moved from the den, which was crazy. But that was the sort of level of passion that the fans had for the old place, you know. And it was a shame that they couldn't they couldn't sort of uh, develop it in some way. But even then, it wouldn't have been the same. You know, you look at some of these grounds now that are the... I think Sellers Park's a good, good example of a ground that back in the day of the terraces, you think in like late 70s. Yeah. And the Homesdale was one huge, big concrete bank and... You had the Arthur Way and, and the, like the White Horse Lane in was a big yeah, terrace, you know, was wasn't good. it? And then they've what they've done is they tried to adapt it and they put on these god awful modern stands behind the goal and 
the building oh. of the supermarket. I think, I think Bolton did something like that, didn't yes, they? That's and, right. At, yeah, Burnham Park. Well. Yeah. I mean, you've got your, your front cover is the great um, image yeah. of the fans on the pitch yeah. um, with the banner that says. Here lies the den, murdered by Reg. But I always thought that was yeah. harsh on Reg. But I um... do, but, but so typically Millwalls. So, you know, never ones for an understatement. Or <laughs> and I remember seeing that on the day and just absolutely laughing my head off and think that shows the level of affections people had for the ground. And I think it might have even it might sound controversial, but given that threat from Burr to say, well, look, you know, if we stay here, that's it. We're third division forevermore. And it might have been a hand for fans who said. So what? So what? <laughs> we'll watch. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to come here. And what it was, it was a comment my dad made, which I used in the book at the time when they first moved to the new ground. And I said, you know, what's it like? What, or what do, you, what do you think? What's your honest opinion? He said, well, he said, I started coming to Mill in the 50s or late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. And it hard going to the den, hardly, barely changed all that time, right up until they left. There was a few little changes that, you know, obviously the fences went up and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but he said that was the, the sort of the comfort of it was it was, it was the same and it was such a culture shock for, you know, obviously a lot of clubs built new stadium, that sort of thing. But I think a lot more fans were more open and excited about it than Mill fans were because the den was so unique. And he said, you know, it was a real, that, that was really uncomfortable. Suddenly we're going to, you're getting that sort of feeling you get when you go to an away game to a fancy stadium, to you know, to a nice is nice and uh <laughs> but yeah and i think that probably explained why initially we didn't get off to a very good start although we had one of our best home records in the first season at the new ground we did and yeah. we went yeah we did yeah. we went close yeah. to the playoff obviously that yeah. finished in, in 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 mayhem i mean my my memory of the new stadium which for me is when you know the middle in the 90s arguably really starts for me um I, I don't know how you saw it, Merv. My, my feeling when I first walked into the new ground was almost um, overwhelming pride that we'd achieved this thing. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I was at the Sporting Lisbon opening game, and I thought that I thought mm, this, is, this is this is what we need to do. You know, it. I mean, to use to use a quote from from um, the Damned United from Michael Sheen, who played Brian Clough when he first at Leeds, saying. Um, you know, things might be a bit different. You might pinch at first a pair of new shoes, but you'll get used to it. And that's, that's what it felt like. <laughs> very unmilled, but I thought, well, you know, we can we can make it our own. I saw a, a comment today on Twitter, actually, um, beneath my Alex Ray post. Yeah. And someone said, said it might be, you know, he said, I think a packed new den is every bit as intimidating as it's good. I would agree but, with that, Murph. Yeah, and I totally agree. I mean, you've only got to think about Leicester in the Cup, I think, is a good example. Huddersfield in the playoff match. But I do think, and it's a common factor with modern stadiums, is they have to be packed to the rafters to generate that atmosphere. Yeah. Whereas I think, unless it's just me being nostalgic, I don't think it is. I think a lot of people, the old den, you could have 3,000 in there, and if the, if the, the drama was there, then the noise would, would match it. You know, I think parties, I can remember days at the old den when it was pitching down, and people would all sort of back up to get under the roof. So the concepts <laughs> were empty, and then you'd get like a late, a last, I can remember. I don't know why I remember this one, but I remember playing Plymouth. I think it was Dockett's first season, and Plymouth were going well at the time. Yeah, I think we were one nil up and struggling. There's about three thousand there, a shocking crowd. It was a horrible day. <laughs> Plymouth equalised, and everyone thought, "Oh, that's it!" And <clears throat> I think we scored two more goals. We went, we won it three one. The noise was ridiculous, and it was like there was three thousand in there, and it's for a nothing game really. And we weren't going up or down. But I think that's the only difference between a, a traditional stadium like the Den. And, uh, a and a modern version. I, I would agree. I would yeah. agree with that. I mean, the new stadium proved to be um, 
a, a long-term blessing, but a, a short-term curse in a sense, because it did cost us um, money that in the end caught up with us by about the mid part of the decade. You know, we had that, um, we had a, a, that strangest ever season, 95, 96, where we were top of the table under Mick McCarthy yeah, before yeah. being relegated with, I think it was the highest number of points to be relegated yeah, in that division. Fashion, yeah, but I mean, fortunately, I mean, that's because sort of, I'm, I'm, I did intend to do the 90s in one, one book, to be honest, and mm. it was a lockdown project. It was something I was going to spread over the course of the rest of the year after the Ordinary Boys came out and because of lockdown, I suddenly found myself with a lot more time on my hands. And and it's one of them. It just it just sort of flowed, you know, because there was so much going on. I mean, you look at. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't have written it if, if there hadn't been so much incident. It wouldn't have made very good reading. And it, no disrespect to someone like Rochdale, but you look at Rochdale's nineties. I think <laughs> they played in the same division for the whole ten years. Didn't get didn't get any anywhere in the cups, and nothing really happens. No, we're always we're nothing if not dramatic, Merv. Are we? I mean, yeah. So but once I got to about two hundred and thirty pages in, and only got to the end of ninety four, ninety five. <laughs> I don't want to edit it down too much, but I thought it's going to, it's going to take two volumes. This because 95, 96 deserves deserves some plenty of air to room to breathe. Absolutely, that's in part two. In that case, this is part one that you've produced here. So the yeah. early early years of the ground being a blessing and a curse. I mean, that Derby playoff game was a classic example because obviously the trouble. Mm. Uh, but then it was it, it was something that we wouldn't have happened a year earlier at the old den because obviously it was it was wasn't that easy to get on the pitch. <laughs> well, we had medieval fencing and spiking keeping yeah, us at bay, didn't we? Yeah, in the um, fall, in the fallout to that, which I go into in a fair bit of detail on the book, there's all sorts of little debate programs with Jimmy Greaves and John McCruick given over to discussing which punishment <laughs> that first. You know, it's actually quite bizarre. But you had the um, Derby chairman, I think it was, is it Pickering? I can't know. remember. I can't remember. It's Pickering, anyway. But, the Derby chairman at the time said the only way to control me all fans in the new stadium is to build a moat. <laughs> <laughs> and, he actually, and the point was made that it was Mill having an unfair advice because because it was so intimidating. And I thought, well, isn't that the whole? You know, no, Liverpool have built built a reputation on yeah. on the cop. On the the, the, the cop, yeah. And I yeah. thought, so you're using this, and it was some of the, the the fallout was quite outrageous. But yeah, I mean. I think he stopped short of saying they should have crocodiles in the moat. He actually, <laughs> he actually wanted a moat to put in, and he basically said if they don't do something bad, it's up to all the people to play there. And it was setting a real dangerous precedent, you know, and the hysteria at the time was, was unbelievable, but um, they came through it somehow. Um, that was early and, 90s football, though, Merv. It's, it's yeah, strange. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're of a similar vintage to myself, and I, I find it quite odd because it, it doesn't seem that long ago to me, but when you repeat it back, it sounds like Charles Dickens' era, yeah. doesn't it? You know. Yeah. Exactly. The the ideas and attitudes that prevailed at that time, yeah. but but there it is. It's it's yeah. um, early that's early nineteen nineties, not that long ago. Pile on, I think as well. That's the thing. And and the funniest thing, the season after that playoff, it was there was you could you got the distinct impression that Redfer wanted Mill to stay off the radar as much as possible. <laughs> and you know, we just wanted to keep to keep out of the way. Just just don't just just don't say or do anything. Just just keep out of trouble because they had this suspended punishment hanging over them. That's and right. And then of course. Then, of course, Sod's Law, we draw Arsenal in the cup and Chelsea in the cup. And we, <laughs> and we almost think that people are conspiring against us to put every little temptation in front of the fans to, to sort of do it again. <laughs> um, you had the Tower Hamlet selection. Mm. The Sun basically linked, managed to link it to Millwall. Managed to link the BNP winning the Tower Hamlet's by-election to Millwall somehow. It was the Millwall Award. 
even though we've got no family miles from when we were all playing, and hadn't played for like 90 years. It was, it was, it was a familiar pylon. You can only imagine what it would have been like in a social media age. We um, should be grateful for some small mercies, Merv, that the social yeah. media wasn't wasn't around then. But yeah, so this is part one. Um, yes. It's it's out now on on Amazon. I Amazon, presume. Uh, yeah, and you can get it online as well at afterthelordmayorshow.co.uk. Um, yeah, the title actually comes from from something that I, I used to hear lots at the old den when I was like in the teens. Um, I used to stand with my dad and his mate, all his mates, and that sort of thing. And as as with the Millwall way, we turn up at a home game with Millwall having just pulled off an incredible away win, and they'd probably gone to the top of the league team. <laughs> the anticipation was high for the, the next game at home to you know to, to crush someone. And of course, invariably we'd get beat or we'd lose. And my dad or his mate Ernie would always describe it as after the Lord Mayor's show. And I never knew what it meant. And I thought, <laughs> and, and I think I asked my mum one day, because what's, what's after the Lord Mayor's show? She said, oh, and she said quite eloquently, well, after the Lord Mayor's show comes the shit part. So I thought, oh, that's <laughs> nice, fair enough. And it's stuck with me ever since. So, and I thought that the 90s did feel a bit like that. Because, I mean, like I say, it's quite unique that coming down, Mill coming down, of all these years, Mill. The, the thought of Mill getting promoted to the first season was seen as a joke. The bookies always had them famous for relegation. Suddenly, they were one of the, 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 the big guys, and they were expected. Yeah. You looked at the squad, even though he sold her a lot, and you looked at the squad, sharing them, of course, came into his own that season. They did. Um, yeah, and you thought, and, and suddenly the bookies are saying, well, they, they should be going up. And that brought a whole new pressure, really, you know, and, uh, but it, yeah, it, it, and it just sort of fell away quite dramatically. We've always been at our best as underdogs. So I, yeah. uh, that that weird period when when we were you know just out out of the first division mm. and felt to be like you say favourites for something, yeah. but yeah. never sat well. It, it doesn't no. sit easy on the mule shoulders that coat, yeah. does it? It's, um, I always remember the line roars at the time saying that they were quite happy if we were like a, a, a yo-yo club and we put you know sort of like the Newcastle or the QPR or the, the, the bigger clubs like you know that would, that would yo-yo between first and second divisions, which is a strange sort of ambition, but I think it's it's a, it's a good one because you get the excitement of promotion every now and then. And, you know, you've only got to look at Fulham getting taken apart by Arsenal and you sort of think, yeah. you know, are we really that disappointed at missing out on the playoffs last year? I'm not, not so sure we are. But, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. I think now more than ever, we don't really know what we want. From, no, from no, no, no. So that's after the Lord Mayor's show, listeners. I'll, I'll stick a link to uh, the Amazon to uh, in, in the show notes for this. Um, Merv, you're working on part two, I, I presume, the late 90s Absolutely. next? Yeah, because like I say, you've got that crazy season, 95, 96, and then obviously things... Administration bad, follows. Bad for the club, yeah. yeah. And, and then in came obviously Theo, who was a major player in, the, in, in, in things, and, and things... You know, just started to make that upturn, and of course, the decade finished with the first Wembley. Uh, yeah, that's right, and that would lead us into promotion in the, the first year yeah. of the of the next uh, decade. Yeah. So once again, it, it, it took sort of it sort of took like a ten year. Um, I think it was a, I think the nineties was it was like a ten year journey of, of getting used to the new ground, and only sort of towards the end of it did we really feel properly at home there. You know, I think that the overriding feeling when we got relegated in ninety six was that. It all been for nothing. We all sort of thought, well, we might as well just stay at the old ground then. And, and yeah. There and we've got this white elephant of a stadium. We've got, you know. But yeah, it, it all came good in the end, which often seems to be the thing with Mill. But, um, but yeah, obviously plenty of um, thrills and spills along the way, as, as is always the case. So yeah, I'm looking forward to really getting into that one and hopefully getting some, um, getting some other ex-players interviewed as well and talking about it. 
Wonderful stuff. Well, we'll get you back on the show for that one. So yeah. that's after the Lord Mayor's show by Merv Payne, uh, available via Amazon. How much is it, uh, is it costing on Amazon, Merv? 99 on Amazon. Yeah, so it's, but it's, yeah, it's, it's free posters if you've got Prime and all that carry on. So that's actually, yeah. Lovely so, stuff. Yeah. And we'll stick a link in the show notes. So a big <laughs> thank you to Merv Payne. Always good to have you on the show, Merv. Thanks, Nick. Always good to be on. We'll be back later on in the week with the Real Mill Fan Show with Aaron Paul and Michael Avery. So until then, do you want to say bye for now, Merv? Yeah, bye for now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Aston Mural. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. However, it's actually Mural. Till next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.